Jesus satisfies our deepest longings. Through his blood we are saved. Children are leaving for children's church. Have a great time, kids. The rest of us are going to turn to Romans chapter 15. A young mother was looking for uh, a toy for her young child, and the salesman uh, showed him something. Um, and the mom said, Isn't this awfully complicated for him? The salesman said, That, madam, is the educational toy designed to prepare your child for life in today's world. Any way he puts it together, is wrong. <laughs> Seems like that sometimes to us. No matter what we do, it doesn't end up quite right or what we expected or what we hoped for. Today we're going to be looking at this idea of hope as Paul continues on in Romans 15 to talk about what we should be looking at, especially in these times when there might be some differences as we saw in chapter 14. So he's actually bringing this um, to a conclusion, but also moving on. And in that sense, verse 7 serves as kind of like a hinge verse. It, it connects backward to all of chapter 14 and up to chapter 15 to this point, but it also prepares us for the end of the letter that Paul is leading to and the final statements that he wants to say. So let's read verses uh, 7 through 13. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Now, I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles, and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for this passage and ask that as we, we look at it today, your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to understand and apply your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first of all, there is hope for the hopeless. And Paul reminds them in verse 7 what has happened to them. When he says, therefore receive one another just as Christ also 
received us to the glory of God. Receive one another. This harkens back to the very beginning of the discussion in Romans 14, verse 1, where Paul says there, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. And verse 3, Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. And then Paul uses the rest of chapter 14 and beginning of 15 to, to uh, unpack that idea. Receive one who is weak in the faith. And remember that God has received you. It seems that most likely the, the dividing line in the church at Rome was between Jew and Gentile. And you can understand that as... Think about Jews who... Um, have been brought up steeped in the Old Testament and the tradition of the elders and the rabbis and the teaching of the Pharisees. And they, from their very birth, were brought up with, you can eat this, you cannot eat that, you can touch this, you can't touch that, you can drink this, you can't drink that. And it all has to do with your relationship to God. And then Christ comes and He is crucified for their sin and resurrected and they come to put their faith in Him, but, but what do they think now about those things which they couldn't eat before? And especially when you have people like those pagans, those Gentiles who, who come to Christ, and they don't have any kind of background like that at all. They can eat whatever they want to eat, drink what they are, whatever they want to drink, and why do they have that freedom? Don't they know that those things are unclean? And Paul is trying to bring these two groups together and say, but you are one in Christ. And you've been freed from the law. You have a liberty in Christ. And as he tells the Galatians, only do not use your liberty for the occasion of the flesh, but in love serve one another. So, in, in saying receive one another, he's probably talking to the Jews accepting the Gentile believers and the Gentile believers accepting the Jewish believers. And even though they might still have some differences of what they can eat and not eat and so forth, that's not what brings them together. That's not what brings unity to them. What brings unity to them is they all believe that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, died for their sins. And they trust Him as the Lord of their life. That's their unity. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Now we're very familiar with verses 8 and 9, and we want to start there, but go on to the following context as well. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, starting at verse 8. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, 
Remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one. Meaning both Gentile and Jew. He has made both one, one body, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who are near. For through him... We both, Jew, Gentile believer, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So now back to Romans 15. This is a point that Paul is getting to. We have come together in Christ our Lord and Savior. Therefore, receive one another, he says, just as Christ also received us. Christ received us warts and all. He didn't wait for us to be perfect, but He received us as we were, and He works in us to change us into His likeness. Why should we receive one another? Because Christ received us. Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us. And he did this to the glory of God. So we are to receive one another, ultimately, to the glory of God. That's where we ended last week. Um, verses 5 and 6. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is repeating that thought, that what it really comes down to, what's really important, is that we glorify God. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So, we receive one another to the glory of God. It's also... Uh, possible grammatically to connect this phrase just as Christ received us to the glory of God. That is how he received us was to God's glory and as we receive one another that is also to God's glory. Thus as we receive one another as we minister to one another as we yield up our rights to one another for the sake primarily of glorifying God it is a reversal of the primal sin Paul talked about back in Romans chapter 1. Go back to Romans 1, 21. 
<clears throat> Here's where things went wrong, Paul starts saying. Romans 1, 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corrupt, corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and so forth. And a whole list of sins and the, and the fall that happens because of the, this sin, this primal sin, they did not glorify God. All the rest of it follows. That is being reversed here, Paul says. Receive one another to the glory of God. Because we have come to know Him as our Lord and Savior, we glorify Him that way. But also, how we interact with one another, how we love one another, can bring and ought to bring glory to God. There is hope, he says, for both Jews and Gentiles. Verse 8, first of all, he addresses the Jews. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. The circumcision here just being a, another way of saying to Israelites, to, to the Jews. He has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God. To confirm the promises made to the fathers. Now in, in Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God because it is the power of God to salvation first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, right? For both of them, but there is a priority first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And as Paul went out, that's how he went. First to the Jews in the synagogue and then to the Gentiles. And so even here he talks about God's working in the Jews and then in the Gentiles. Uh, turn to the right a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians 1, verse 22 through 24. <clears throat> For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the Jews seek a sign, the, the Greeks or the Gentiles seek after wisdom. Now back here in Romans 15, now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the 
truth of God. Jesus said, Mark 10, 45, For even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. He, he came to serve and to die for those that he would call to himself. He came as a servant to the circumcision for the truth. There are two related uh, reasons that he gives here. First of all, it's for the truth. Now, what did the Jews seek for? What did they want? The Jews seek for a sign. Show us a sign. What work will you do that we can believe that you are the Christ? <clears throat> That's the question they asked in John 6, the morning after he fed the 5,000. Show us another trick. Do something else cool. Wow! What sign will you show us? To those who seek after signs, God says, here's what I have for you. Truth. What I have for you is this. Quit looking for signs and experiences and those external things. I, I have truth for you. If you put your hope in signs and putting out fleeces and things like that, you are going to be sorely disappointed. But I have something upon which you can stand. I, I have truth for you. And so for those who seek after a sign, he says he gives them truth. He has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God. Specifically, the verse goes on to say, to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And that's what drives us back to the word. Because the promises made to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, was about God's working in them. And he is faithful to his promises. God is saying to those Jews, you can have unwavering hope because I am true to my word because I keep my promises there is hope for the Jews there is also hope for the Gentiles and he spends more time on this because um, that was something the Jews didn't foresee coming as clearly as perhaps they ought to have And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Now what did the Gentiles seek? The Jews sought for a sign and they got truth. The Gentiles seek for wisdom. You see, the, Gen the Gentiles, especially the Greeks, they, they prided themselves in wisdom and in their philosophers. Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, those were their heroes, those, those wise guys. And they prided themselves in nobility. They prided themselves in human strength. And what did they need? Not something more to pride themselves in. What they needed was mercy. We tend to think as we, we look at people 
even in our society, that those who are well off and seem to have it together, they don't really need God. It's the poor, downtrodden people who are really suffering. They need God. Well, it's true they need God, but so does everyone else. It's, the problem is the, the people who are wise in themselves and may be successful in the world's point of view don't realize that what they need is to be broken and to have mercy in their lives. So those of us who tend to be prideful, what we need is mercy, the mercy of God in our life. Verse 9, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written. Now there, there comes here a series of scriptural quotations all of course in the Old Testament which on its surface is kind of amazing in that there are these number of passages and more that, that say that God was going to work in the, the Gentiles, that He was going to bring a people to Himself from all the nations. And God leads Paul to several, four specific passages. They're taken from the Psalms, from the Law, and from the Prophets. It's not like he's cherry-picking just from uh, the Psalms or something. In fact, the first one could be taken either from the Psalms or from 2 Samuel 22. The, the exact same wording, same verse, appears in both uh, places in uh, Psalm 18.49 and, and uh, 2 Samuel 22. And in the same kind of context, too. And if, So if that's true, then it's taken from the, the books of history, the book of Psalms, and the law and the prophets covering all the categories of the Old Testament. Verse, uh, let's just read through these first and I'll make a few observations along the way. Here's what is written in Psalm 18, 49 and 2 Samuel 22, 50. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So I will confess to you, I will, I will talk about how great a God you are among the Gentiles. In other words, it's not just a message for us, the Jews. It is for the world. It is, it's for the Gentiles as well. And, and will sing to your name. And again, he says, from Deuteronomy 32, a fascinating context. If we had the time to read all of Deuteronomy 32, as Moses is winding up his message to the Jews and giving them some final warnings and basically saying, you know, even despite all these warnings and despite how gracious God has been to you, you're going to fall. You're going to fall and you're going to suffer because of it. But God is going to do a work in you and restore you. But not only is He going to restore you, He's also he's going to work in the nations. And so, this is taken out of Deuteronomy 32. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. Alongside of, together with His people. 
Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Psalm 117 says, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, or exalt him, all you peoples. The shortest psalm is only two verses long, Psalm 117. What's remarkable about it is it's addressing not the Jews, but the Gentiles. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Extol him, all you peoples. And again, now going to the book of Isaiah. This is taken from Isaiah chapter 11, which is looking forward in time, even forward to from where we are, looking to the, the end times, when the lion will lay down with the lamb. Remember that from Isaiah 11? It's that passage. So he's talking about in the end times, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now here it's not only that he is going to be a savior to them and that they'll, they'll praise him, but he is going to rule over them. And because it's looking forward to the end times, looking at that millennial kingdom of God, and he shall reign over them, and in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now, a couple things which are common in each of these passages that God led Paul to give to us. One is that it's addressing Gentiles. These are Old Testament passages addressing Gentiles. And the second thing, which is common in all the verses, is the idea of praise. The Gentiles will praise God. And that's why he says at the beginning of verse 9 to, as the heading of these verses and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy that is what's going to bring them together with the Jews they will glorify God together and then in verse 12 this brings us back to this topic of hope that um, the, the Jews have reason to for hope, the Gentiles have reason for hope. And the last part of verse 12 says, In Him, in, in the Messiah, in Christ, the Gentiles shall hope. And how are we to hope? We are to be abounding in hope. Um, There were some years ago, a submarine sank with all the men trapped on board. It was um, in a very deep part of the ocean, and as the vessel settled on the the ocean's floor, disabled, uh, they were without radio contact. Every breath they took used up what little precious oxygen was left in that submarine. It took hours for the nearest ships to reach them. And the, uh, the divers were sent down to try to uh, see what the situation was. It was determined that the submarine was far too down for them to be able to lift it up or give them any kind of assistance. And 
So as these divers are swimming around trying to figure out what's going on, reporting back, there's this tapping noise they keep hearing. And, and they decide to stop and listen. What is this tapping noise? And evidently someone inside the submarine had picked up a heavy wrench or something was banging against the hull. And they listened to the Morse code over and over again. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? That's what they wanted to know. When when I deal with people who are in trouble, they're going through some kind of a devastation, or perhaps a, a marriage that is breaking up, or a health issue, or job problems, or you know what really is at the heart? Is there any hope? Can, can this be somehow made to work? Can this be made better? Is there hope for a different tomorrow? Is there any hope? What is hope? The common secular view, the way we typically in our culture think about hope is is a pretty light thing mostly. I, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Or maybe something more serious, like I hope I get that promotion at work. But in any case, from man's perspective, hope is based on the wishes of man and the uncertainty of circumstances. That's pretty much how you could summarize the common view of hope. It's based on the wishes of man and the uncertainty of circumstances. But God's hope is different. The hope that God gives and the hope that the Bible presents to us, the hope of God is based on the character of God and the certainty of His plans. Biblical hope is based on the character of God, which does not change, and the certainty of His plans, of our sovereign omniscient God. That's where hope is. Paul wrote to the Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have ultimate hope. Titus 2.13, Paul wrote, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We put our hope in Him. He is our hope. Peter wrote in his first epistle, chapter 1, rest your hope fully on what? The grace of God to be brought to you at the coming of Christ.
Now abide faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But that's pretty significant company, isn't it? For hope. Now abide faith, hope, and love. We know what faith is like and how important faith is to our Christian life. We know what love is, or we should know, the love of God and the love we are to have for one another. That's pretty significant in our Christian life. Well, so is that middle word, hope. Christ is the reason for our hope. Verse 12, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. He is the reason for hope. It's kind of like in, if you think about salvation, we place our faith in Him, understanding that all that we need for our salvation is found in Him. He is the object of our hope. Just like our salvation, we, we place our faith in Him in our security, where we find security in life is in Him. We place our hope in Him. Secondly, God the Father is the source of hope. Verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. The God of hope. The Father is the source of hope. Now, we could take this uh, genitive to mean He's the God of hope in the, in the sense that He's the, the Lord over hope. And certainly that is true, but that's not the primary meaning here. It is a, it's a genitive of source or origin. He is the God of hope. That is that hope is found in Him. Hope originates from Him. He is the source of hope. Where are you looking for hope? He is the source of hope. We are too much like a, like a person who's looking for firewood in a cave. Not likely to find it there, right? Or looking for water in the desert. You're not likely to find it there. When we look for hope in other people, or our job, our own security, our own selves, that's foolish and will disappoint. God is the God of hope. Christ is the reason for hope. He has secured it for us. God is the God of hope. It comes from Him. And the Holy Spirit is the power of hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Note that this is a triune production. Jesus Christ is the reason for hope. God the Father is the source of hope. And the Holy Spirit is the power 
of hope, just like He is the, the power for our daily lives and our Christian living. He is the power of hope. Now, this alerts us to the fact that in order to have true hope, biblical hope, not the kind of hope that the world gives, but the kind that Christ has secured for us and the kind of hope that Father offers to us, that kind of hope requires nothing less than the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. It takes great power. It takes a power beyond any earthly power. And again, that's why we don't look to things like self or we don't look to Wall Street for our security. I hope by now you have learned not to look to politics for hope. Some of them promise hope. They give a hope of change. But they don't tell you change for the worse. Don't, don't look at, for other things for hope. It's, the hope is found in the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. Now, what would that look like if, there's, if it's hope that is generated by the power of the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit supposed to do in our lives? John 16. Didn't you just teach on that? Oh, you are today, so I'm going to steal a little bit of your thunder. John 16, the Holy Spirit, when He comes, Jesus said, He's going to do a couple of very significant things for you. First of all, He is going to lead you into all truth. And then He's going to lead you to glorify Me. The Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, not only enables us to understand the Word of God, but the Holy Spirit always leads us to glorify Christ. Well, you see now, we have something to measure our hopometer. Is it according to truth? Is it in line with this? Are, are we hoping for the kinds of things that God tells us we ought to be hoping for? And is the reason that we are hoping for them in order to glorify Christ with our lives? Now, think about the things that you have been hoping for. What is the, your reason for hoping for them? Because I don't want to go through this, because I'd like to achieve that, because of what I want, usually, right? But what if the hope was because I want to glorify Christ with my life? You see, let's say there's a, a couple, a married couple who are having problems. Anyone here ever had a problem in their... Raise your hand, Sherry. <laughs> she's, she's had a multitude with the guy she's married to. We all do. And, and so we come thinking, okay, I, I need to get this straightened out because it's miserable living with this person and they're miserable too. And, and, but what if the hope was we can glorify Christ with our marriage. Isn't that a whole lot better than we want some kind of a peace? We want a peace treaty. No. We, we want to be a testimony to the work of God in our life by the power of His Spirit giving praise to Christ because of what His Word says. You see, that's the kind of hope that the Holy Spirit leads us to. 
And the reason we don't achieve these um, meager levels of hope that we want is because God doesn't want us to be satisfied in that alone. Joy and peace are the companions of hope. Letter D in your outline. Verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. They are the companions of hope. They come, they come along with hope. What we get by having a biblical hope that is because of what Christ did from God the Father, energized by the Spirit, we get not only hope, but joy and peace that come with it. Why do people not have joy in their life? Be, because they don't have hope. They start losing hope, and then the joy goes away. Why do people have anxiety in their life? Because they're, they're losing hope. If we have biblical hope, joy and peace are the companions. Back in chapter 14, verse 17, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not things like eating and drinking. That's not what makes the kingdom of God. But what does the kingdom of God look like? Here it is. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We are united and we are energized by the Holy Spirit to live Christian lives. We get joy and peace as well. So joy and peace are the companions of hope. Faith is the door of hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing or as you believe. Here's how you latch on to it. It's through faith. Faith is the door of hope. Just like it is the door to salvation, just as you had to trust in Christ to, to, for your salvation, you continue to trust in Him for your hope. We won't take time to look at it now because the clock keeps ticking. But if you want to just write down Hebrews chapter 6, 17 through 20, that Christ is the anchor for our soul and we hope in Him. Great passage in Hebrews 6, 17 through 20. So faith is a door of hope. And lastly, abounding is the measure of hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only does he use the word abound, but notice earlier in the verse, may the God of hope fill you. Fill you with hope. That with all joy and peace in believing, you might abound in hope. That's what God is offering to you. It's what God desires for you. If this abounding hope is not what you have, perhaps you have been hoping for the wrong thing. I would challenge you even now, but, uh, but especially later on, as you have some quiet time just to reflect on this with God, 
What are you setting your hope on? What are you really hoping for? If you're not abounding in hope in your life, maybe you're hoping for the wrong things. Or perhaps you have been hoping in the wrong ways. Not in, not in accordance with this word. Not, not in order to bring glory to Christ. Hundred and fifty years ago, Edward Moat wrote this hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than MasterCard and American Express. <laughs> oh no, that's the new version. <laughs> my, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide His face, I rest in His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. That's Hebrews 6, 17 through 20, that verse. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we hope in you and we are not disappointed. Because you, O oh God, are the God of hope. Our Lord and Savior not only secured our salvation, but hope as well. Not only hope in this life, but especially in the life to come and the things that you have for us, Lord, the glory which will be revealed in us. And Lord, we have, we have too long and too often hoped for the things of this world, hoped for our own desires, and you have graciously withheld them for us, from us that we might hope in greater things, that we might place our hope in you. And Lord, we pray that as we seek your kind of hope, it would redound to the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you, and uh, we'll see you in ABF in a few moments. <laughs>